0: If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush.
1: Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey.
0: Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding.
1: Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real-life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien, and now Nicole Braddock-Bromley. Wow. In such a
0: crazy time of our world, we're living through a pandemic, a historical revolution. We're so aware i think of safety measures right now especially in the face of a coronavirus like the importance of washing our hands mary you know about that i know all about that <laughs> <laughs> wearing masks staying 6 feet apart you know all of these different things we have to really be thinking about when it comes to our safety but there's other dangers that can be just as deadly if we aren't just as proactive and vigilant And I think we have to be really aware right now of who is talking to our kids online. You know, quarantine kids have been home, for me, they've been home way too long. (laughs) And, you know, a lot of them are scared. They're lonely. They're angry. They're bored. And they're turning to the internet. They're turning to social media, online gaming, trying to get, you know, connection with their friends and just an escape from living inside of a house with a bunch of crazy family members, you know, (laughs) but at the same time, there's been reports of, you know, major increases in the sharing of child sex abuse material. And obviously predators are always online waiting. And when kids are vulnerable, like they are right now, I think it's really our duty and it's our honor to protect them. And so that's why I wanted to bring an expert on today, um, just to talk about internet safety So my friend Alicia, she's been featured on Oprah, Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, all these shows. And she's not just an expert, but she's actually a really brave survivor herself. And so joining us from New York City, welcome, Alicia Kosakevich. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Nicole and Mary. (laughs) Thank you. Absolutely. we're so glad that you could join us today. Well, you know, I know I met you, I think it was last year when I was actually in New York. Uh, where you were speaking and heard a little bit about your story and I have so many questions for you just you know not just as a survivor and someone who can relate to you I want to talk about your healing journey but also just as a mom you know Mary and I are both moms and you know thinking about our children as they grow up and have their own devices and all of that um Just wanting to really protect them and be in front of the problem. That's always been our whole thing is like, let's just be a step ahead, be educated, be vigilant. But I think it'd be really good to really pick your brain today. So Alicia, would you share a little bit about your story? No, it kind of started at age 13. You were the first known case of child abduction by an online predator. Um, could you just share a little bit of just your backstory and kind of how you've now become such a prominent educator on internet safety?
1: Absolutely. So back in 2001, 2002, it was really the start of the internet being in people's homes and technology being accessible to everybody. Mm. And sometimes when people hear my story or they see it on television, they Get wrapped up in where they are today and how much we know today. And shouldn't my family have known better? Shouldn't I have known better? Mm. Well, the fact is that no, I couldn't have known better. So I can remember getting online when I was 12, 13 years old. And I grew up with having a computer sort of nearby. My grandfather worked at IBM. So he had a computer and it was it seemed old for then even, but if you can remember computers back then, the dial-up, the, the somebody picked up a phone, you were thrown off with the internet, things took forever to download. There was those two <laughs> little folders and that little yeah. piece of paper that went back and forth for like, and it would be like, oh, six, sixteen 16 days. And all of a sudden it would be like, oh, it's done. Like it, you had no idea when things would actually download.
0: Oh my gosh. Uh, I remember I lived in my grandma's attic after I graduated from college and we had this phone cord that went all the way from downstairs up two flights of stairs up to my little computer. And I felt like it took years to be able to send an email. I get it.
1: Right? So it was all so incredibly new. Now, my brother, who's nine years older than me, he was online and he would play what looked to be like board games is how I looked at them. I'm sure they were very serious games, but uh, they looked like board games. And I thought how cool it was that you could have your friends come over essentially, and play a board game with you. But you didn't have to ask your parents to go for permission. You didn't have to ask parents to go pick them up, bring them home, all of that. So mm. a huge step skip there, which yeah. was a, a draw to me. And then at school, it soon seemed like everybody was online all the time. Nobody wanted to go outside anymore. They didn't want to go to the park or the mall or the movies. And if we look at today, and we imagine that our phones only worked when we were in a certain corner of the home, and that's it, people wouldn't leave, I mean, right now, we can't really leave anyway, too much, but <laughs> we wouldn't leave our homes; we would stay in that specific corner. And so, again, just a really different sort of world. And I was not yet online, but my friends were, So soon, in order to maintain my friendships, I got a screen name and I got online, and I started talking to my friends. Now, this was before cyberbullying was really a thing. I think this was before kids knew that they could be mean to each other online, that this was a middle school utopia, and that was sort of unheard of. Now, I was a really shy kid. I was the kid who didn't raise their hand in class. I was the kid who kind of sometimes felt like the wallpaper, right? Like, I wasn't I wasn't unpopular, but I wasn't popular, but I was just that kid in the middle hanging out and had a few friends. Yeah. And right. A lot of people are that kid. But online, I felt that I didn't have to be so shy. I could be comfortable. I could count my words. Literally, I could backtrack. Oh my God, erase things. I could make it pretty colors. And like I said, cyberbullying was not yet a thing. My parents talked to me about stranger danger, but this didn't work in the online world because these were my friends from school. And if they weren't my friends, they had introduced me to their friends. Mm. So it still felt very real world connected. Yeah. And most importantly, I felt safe. I'm in my home. I've never been hurt here before. Nothing and no one could ever hurt me here. And I felt incredibly safe. My computer was in the family room Mm -hmm. and my parents would walk by quite often but I was online a lot because we all were online a lot and I was in a chat room and somebody messaged me who I thought was a boy around my own age. Now I was also a naive child. I grew up in a sort of bubble And I feel that that's an important point to make, is that any child can become a victim. People tend to think that victims, people can only be victimized if they've already had some sort of hardship in their life, that they come from a broken family, a broken home, trouble at home, whatever it might be, when it's any child at all, because any child is vulnerable. Mm -hmm. everybody is vulnerable but most especially children so there I was online talking to this person who I thought was a boy around my own age and I believed him and here's where people are like oh that's really silly yeah I believed him because I was who I said I was why would somebody be somebody different I knew that there were bad people in the world but that was maybe in, in movies or in other places it certainly wasn't in my my perfect little bubble Sure. And
0: and children trust. Yeah. I mean, that's the exactly. beauty of a child is, is just their innocence and that they will trust exactly. anybody.
1: And right. I was the kid who really believed that the world was a beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah. What I didn't know was that he had immediately gone to groom me. Mm. And grooming is really quite simple. It's just pretending to be a child's friend. And kids, like I said, struggle with a lot of vulnerabilities, they struggle with self-worth, they may be on top of the world one day, and then the next day, their friend calls them a mean name, they get a bad grade, the kid they have a crush on ignored them, whatever, and now they're completely downtrodden, They're, they're They're hurt, they're scared, and they don't know about their future. And so kids really go between such extremes. And predators, what their goal is, is to latch onto those extremes, find those extremes, and then exploit those extremes. Mm-hmm. And those extremes, like I said, may be really simple to an adult. Oh, you got a bad grade. No, that can be something really huge to yeah. a kid. And sure. it's really to, really easy to exploit those feelings. Mm-hmm. So what these predators look for, like I said, are, are vulnerabilities. And then they make those vulnerabilities sort of go away they make them feel like they are beautiful or handsome or important or special or unique all mm-hmm. those things that kids don't feel every single day and they make it so they are the only person who can make you feel that way it seems because they are the only person who understands the real you they yeah. are your only one true friend because look mm-hmm. at all these other things that are happening in your life that are bad Have. So they'll say, have I ever done these things? Do you, have I ever hurt you? Well, no, no, no. Okay, well, I'm your real friend. And it's a simple process and it's incredibly subtle. And this absolutely still goes on today. This wasn't just an early 2000s sort of Mm -hmm. practice. Only now it is easier because kids are so desperate, Mm -hmm. literally desperate, for attention online. They Mm -hmm. want followers, they Mm -hmm. want likes, and this is how they define their self-worth. And that in and of itself is a huge vulnerability. So predators also then begin often to push against the child's kind of morals in some way and what the parents have taught them not to do. And by pushing those boundaries, they can pull the child closer to them. So say that they would want this child to send them in an inappropriate photo mm-hmm. or video. Well, they very well may be uncomfortable and say no. And if they say no, then this predator may say, okay, well, then I'm not going to talk to you anymore and threaten abandonment. Mm-hmm. Or say the child does it, which so many children unfortunately do, then this person is able to threaten them. Mm -hmm. And not just threaten them with abandonment, Mm -hmm. but blackmail and Mm -hmm. essentially hold this child prisoner. Yeah, yeah. So grooming is really intense, but the problem is that to the child, it all feels really good. Maybe not that part, that sort of end game there. Mm -hmm. But that the process itself feels like friendship, it feels like companionship, it feels like being understood. And that's sort of how I felt for about nine months this person talked to me which is quite a long time, and they will Mm -hmm. do this. They will talk to their intended victims for a long period of time. Mm. Well, grooming is also sort of like brainwashing. You have a child who, in the beginning, interacts with the world differently than they do at the end. Case in point, my story. So on New Year's Day, it's 2002, I agreed to meet this person who I thought was my friend. And it was so completely out of my character. I told you I was really, really shy. I also hated the cold. I was afraid of the dark. And Mm. I never went outside alone after dark, ever. Mm. And we were having a family meal. It was in the evening. And we were celebrating the new year. We were welcoming in the new year. And I asked my mother if I could be excused from the table because I had a, a stomach ache. And she said, yes, of course. And in her mind, I went upstairs to lie down. But in reality, I went outside to meet my friend. Now, I left the door open just a little bit because I was planning on coming right back through it. And this was Pittsburgh, and it was freezing freezing cold, tons of snow. It was, it was a cold, cold, dark night. I can remember stepping outside and it being really cold quiet and I walked up the street just about a block or so and it was really cold again I didn't have a coat I was just planning on going outside for a moment to say hi and clearly in retrospect was that a good decision absolutely not was it a smart decision absolutely not was it a mistake yes it was a huge mistake Mm -hmm. but children make mistakes and an adult should never exploit those mistakes
0: Mm, that's good Mm -hmm.
1: So I stood there and if I turned around, I could still see my house and I figured if something went wrong, which why would it, I could get back home. And so in that moment of silence, this little voice spoke up, my intuition, and please listen to your intuition, whether you're an adult, whether you are a child, whether you have a child somebody in your life teach them to listen to their intuition because it is there for a reason mm-hmm. my intuition that little voice spoke up and said alicia what are you doing this is dangerous go home and i heard it and i went to turn around and next thing i knew i was in a car and this man was squeezing my hand so tightly that i thought it was broken and he forced mm-hmm. me to look in the back seat and there was a bag back there with ropes and all sorts of horrible things in it and he threatened to put me in the trunk, and I believed him. People tend to think, okay, well, if I was in this situation, this is what I would do, Mm -hmm. and they go to movies. What would a movie character do? And Mm -hmm. that's not always the best thing to survive. I believed him immediately, and I knew that everything I said, did, or thought could be my last, and that everything I said, did, or thought was of critical life or death importance. Mm. He drove about five hours from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Virginia to his house, and he held me captive in his basement dungeon. I was raped and beaten and tortured, suffered horrendous abuse, Mm. and he was somebody who enjoyed inflicting pain when I say basement dungeon I didn't come up with that term the media did but that's what it was it was a place to torture somebody mm-hmm. I knew that he would kill me mm-hmm. and so I did whatever I had to do to survive no matter how humiliating or brutal or disgusting because I knew that he would kill me if I was of no longer any use to him which is a horrible thing and a horrible way to say that but mm-hmm. it's way to say it and by i remember at some point because people and survivors know this people ask how did you survive this how did you get through this what what made you do this or made you do that and the fact is that yes there there is some thought and thinking to it but also instinct so you have intuition and you have instinct and instinct mm. is really strong. And for some reason, my mind popped to okay. I don't know if it's a book I'd read. I've had always really been interested in psychology books, and 9/11 had just happened shortly before that, so there'd been a lot of conversations about hostage taking and, and all these things. Mm. So I picked up yeah. on something. Yeah. And I remembered that if somebody sees you as a person, then it will be harder for them to take your life. They see mm. you as an object try to become a person and that's what I tried to do Mm. and you were 13 I was at this point yes
0: wow yeah
1: so again instinct yeah and so I knew that he was going to kill me but my goal was to stay alive that was Mm -hmm. my only goal stay alive stay alive stay alive and that was my power if I could breathe in the next second then maybe I could breathe in the seconds later or 10 minutes later or maybe even an hour later maybe even tomorrow Mm -hmm. that was where I found my power you search for power in such tiny infinitesimal ways that they're your power and you hold on to them with all of your might yeah on on the last day which I didn't know was the last day he said I'm beginning to like you too much tonight we're going to go for a ride and I think what happened is that I had become a person to him yeah what I was doing worked and it backfired he was going to have to kill me. Mm. So after that, he left for work. He fed me for the first time and then he left for work with me chained to the floor by a locking dog collar. Jeez. It's amazing the questions that people will ask you as a survivor of any sort of trauma, but most certainly when it comes to sexual assault. People love to blame the victim. They love to think again what they would do to have made the situation better. And please, please don't ever do that. Don't ever say, why did you or why didn't you? Because whatever that person did is exactly what they needed to do mm-hmm. to survive. Yeah, and that right. is brave. That is mm-hmm. brave. And that mm-hmm. is what they needed to do. Thankfully, you won't be 13-year-old Alicia locked in that basement. Right. For me, I was a terrified little girl and had given up hope almost at this point, almost fully. And I did not know if he was standing outside of the door and would come in and kill me. He was a twisted human being who played mind games. So again, stay alive, stay alive, stay alive. And I knew that my only chance of rescue was or to escape was to be rescued. And Mm. so I was counting on the world outside. I'd thought. And I ended up with a broken nose. Learned really quickly that he was so much stronger than me, and there's no way out of this. I mean, maybe there would be an opportunity, but that it would be a brief window, and I don't know when that's going to happen. So I'm not going to exactly look for that window. I'm going to just stay alive. I got to focus my energy somewhere. And I thought about my parents, and I knew that they were looking for me because they loved me, and I knew that they would find me because they have magic powers. And that magic power is love. Yeah. And that they would, they're just going to do that no matter what it is. And children have this belief. And I still have this belief that your parents, the people in your life who care about you, be it parents, grandparents, guardians, whomever, will do anything. And it doesn't matter what lines they have to cross. Like I, my mom, I could imagine my mom and dad going and like stealing Air Force One if needed be or (laughs) Going into yeah. the woods and finding like a witch and conducting a spell, like whatever. Was yeah, necessary. anything, absolutely. Right, and I knew that they loved me. And in that moment, I got this like strength that I was going to get back to them mm-hmm. and that I was going to fight. So I had that feeling of, oh, I'm not going to fight. And then yes, I am going to fight because I have to get back to them. Mm-hmm. And then very quickly that died down and I realized that I was not, I gave up all hope at this point. Yeah. And I thought about my parents in a very different way. And when was the last time that I told them that I loved them? And I get really emotional talking about this because I'd never felt more powerless in my life than in this moment. It was one mm-hmm. thing for me to be powerless. I was living in that moment and this was mine and this mm-hmm. is my pain and it's different, but to know that my parents, this is the first time I had a moment to really think about them and, and things had paused because he wasn't there. And all I wanted to do was comfort them and reach out to them and tell them that I was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I, at this point, I'd been thinking I was going to die, but that I had somehow resolved to that and that I needed them to be okay, that I mm-hmm. needed them to be strong, that I wanted to comfort them, and I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And I just went to the deepest, darkest, horrible place where I gave up. Mm -hmm. Time passed and I heard these voices and something about having guns and this door crashing on the house I was being held in. And I tried to stay really quiet and people might not understand this, but I had been so traumatized, so terrified and so completely out of hope that I figured that these people were coming to kill me. So I tried to hide from them and I rolled underneath a bed, dragging that cold, heavy chain behind me and tried to stay as quiet as possible. But I made some sort of noise and I heard movement over there and this person walked from one side of the bed to the side that I was hiding under and in a very commanding voice commanded me to crawl out and put my hands up. And I remember crawling out from underneath that bed dragging that chain behind me, trying to cover myself because I had no clothing on, while also putting my hands up and looking up and I was staring into the barrel of a gun. And I thought that this is it, this is the moment I'm going to die, that he sent these people to kill me. Mm. But then he turned around and I saw that it was law enforcement by what was written on the back of his jacket. And all of these officers and agents rushed in, cut that chain from around my neck, set me free, and gave me a second chance at life and my rescue was nothing, nothing really short of a miracle and that's one of the heartbreaking parts of it Mm -hmm. is that I soon learned that most children in these circumstances, that children who are abducted by a stranger statistically are murdered within the first three hours, that this was so rare that I was being rescued and that broke my heart to know that there were other children who were in the same predicament or who had been in this predicament and they didn't make it. The way that I was rescued is that while he had me, he had been live streaming what he was doing to me to other people mm-hmm. online. Awful. He was broadcasting what Awful. he was doing.
0: Gosh, I'm so he was sorry. Bragging. Mm hmm.
1: I didn't know mm-hmm. that at the time. I learned that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was broadcasting this and somebody who was watching this as well mm-hmm. realized that he could potentially get in trouble with law. So he ran out to a payphone to tell you what time this was. He ran out to a payphone mm-hmm. and he contacted law enforcement and mm-hmm. he had very little information, but he had one of the screen names that the perpetrator had used. Okay. And they were able to track down the IP address through that screen name, which led to the house, which led to me. Had yeah. this person not come forward, had my National Center for Missing Exploited Children poster not been shared globally, mm-hmm. I would not be here today. And there's wow. so many children whose faces don't hit those posters or who there's just so many factors that play into this, that children don't receive the same chance that I received. And a big reason that I was rescued is because this wasn't a prolific crime that people knew about back then. Mm-hmm. So there were resources, there were officers. Had it been today, it would go a bit differently. So I am incredibly lucky. And it's amazing how, how we do survive, that we that so many of us have gone through so much and I have people all the time who say well oh your story it's I went through something similar but it's it's not as bad as what you went through I don't know how you could have survived and I just I think that's so heartbreaking that they feel that way because I listen to their story and I want to say the same thing how did I don't know how could you have made it through that People compare yeah. traumas, Yeah. people victim blame, and then you have the survivors who are comparing traumas <laughs> and comparing their work right. mm-hmm. based on what the trauma was. And we cannot do that. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. It doesn't matter length of time. None of that matters. And that's something that actually I used to struggle with is that people would say, oh, how long were you missing? And I may not have even said four days when I was talking about this because I still go, okay, people are going to go, it's not that bad. And I still have people to this day say that they say, oh wow, okay, well that's really not that bad. Four oh come okay. on! But, and it doesn't matter how long something terrible was happening mm-hmm. to you. How mm-hmm. it matters is how it impacts absolutely, you. yeah. And that's pretty much it. It's how your personal experience personally impacts you we cannot judge based on well we can't judge anybody else's experience but it's for them to judge their own experience yeah and then to feel that because they maybe aren't aren't in a place where they think that they're they're healthier or that they've recovered in some way but you've gone through something so much worse how right. how are you better and i'm not and It's a a really hard thing. So so no matter what you've gone through, it's real, it's valid, and your feelings are real and valid about it, and your reactions are real and valid and accepted and okay. And sometimes we need to hit rock bottom before we can ever realize that we can spring up to see how high we can spring up from rock bottom.
0: Mm, That's good. You know, we talk a lot on this podcast about healing as a lifelong journey, and obviously you can attest to that as the truth in your story as well. And I wonder as a survivor who's also, you know, a leading advocate, could you share a little what that looks like for you like today? You know, do you get triggered when you're traveling or speaking or, or hearing stories Like our survivors that are listening now, a lot of them are struggling during lockdown being triggering. You know, I can imagine, especially for a story like yours that it would be, you know, how would, how do you care for yourself when kind of you, you have days like that or weeks like that? Do you have any tips for other survivors who might relate to you and are struggling right
1: now? Well, you're absolutely right. Healing is a lifelong journey and we forget what journey means sometimes. Journey isn't this lovely. Like people don't go on a journey when they're going for a walk. Like I went for a hike yesterday. I'm going to call it hike. I walked in like the woods on a flat path. I wouldn't say, oh, I went on a journey yesterday. A journey would mean like, okay, well, there were hills, and maybe I fell and I got hurt or I had like a limp or I saw something. I mean, there's something that makes it unusual. Something that makes it a struggle at some points, right? The hero's journey and a journey is. Something so much more than just okay, it's good today, bad day, good today, bad today, and that goes on potentially for years, and that is okay. And I've had instances where I have many times have stopped and said, Oh my gosh, I'm still having a hard time. Why is this still hard for me? I remember the first time I had to go back to Virginia, and I actually went to train the FBI, which was really full circle cool mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. But I remember getting a toll booth and freaking out and thinking, oh my gosh, this is impossible. I can't do this. And my mom had to hold my hand that I was crying and holding mm. up traffic. And it was quite a quite a quite a mess. And then I remember next I went and I was testifying for Alicia's law, my namesake, and it was the first time that I had been to Virginia alone since then and I had a hard time. So even though this step happened now this step was happening and it was still hard now with lockdown similarly I I knew that there would be something because power and control and the future had been sort of taken away from us that we couldn't plan okay well I'm going to go on vacation or oh I'm going to go to Easter at my parent like all of that was gone and so our future Was taken away from us in in many ways, which sounds really nihilistic, but it kind of felt like that. And I can remember at one point, my dad, he fell really ill, and he had to go to the hospital. And my mom couldn't go into the hospital with him. I was packing my bags and like a daze, and ready to go, and think, how could I get into the hospital? What can I do to get into the hospital? Can like trying to plan things, think things through, and. I realized that I can't go. This was, I'm in New York. I could make everything much worse with the uh, pandemic being so so strong here. I could bring it to my mom. Like, There's just right. so much. And I remember Ugh. I went and I, I went and I was crying in uh, my bathroom. trying mm-hmm. not to disturb my husband and his work schedule. <laughs> and I leaned up against the wall and I put my hands on it and I was just So upset because my dad was really, he was not responsive. It was really, really serious. And I thought I was never going to see him again. Mm. And I had a flashback of being trapped and not being able to get to my parents.
0: Oh man, that's real.
1: It is real. And that's (sighs) what I said. It's real and it's valid. And people Uh. sometimes judge themselves based on things like that. And I absolutely did. I came out of the Mm. bathroom and I was like, oh my gosh, I feel weak. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously this is, I'm, this is so much you know, so far away from this happening, yet I still feel like garbage today. Mm-hmm. And it took me a little bit to realize that that was okay. And the, when this became most apparent uh, was last year, which this is all sort of a trigger for what happened last year as well. The offender who received 19 years and seven months was released early. Mm-hmm. And I found out through a reporter who messaged me and said hey are you aware that so-and-so has been released and he's in a halfway house four miles from your parents home Jeez. no definitely not aware of that at all thanks for letting me know no that's not no. a that conversation <laughs> i <laughs> screamed and i dropped the phone and my husband ran into the room thinking oh gosh what's wrong and that's exactly what he said and i couldn't speak and i handed him the phone And he went, oh my God, I have to call your mom. And he called my mom. And then I heard her scream. And it was a scream of pure, abject, full terror. And it was a scream that I imagined she had when she found out that I was missing. Mm. And in that moment, it was, was he, did he choose to be released into Pittsburgh? And are my parents like in an immediate threat? Like, are they in an immediate danger, I should say. And so what had happened had gone from being a past trauma to a current threat. It became real that this person was released, that he didn't have an ankle monitor on, that uh, who knows what's going to happen here. And he's within walking distance somewhat of, you know, I walked four miles yesterday. So he's within walking distance of my parents' home, which is my childhood home where I had been taken from. I couldn't go visit Pittsburgh. Mm. I couldn't see my family for holidays. And I had this brief moment of, I'm going to not be an advocate anymore because mm. I realized that he was going to be watching. He was going to see. And if I went through my story like I did just a few moments ago with you and he heard that, mm-hmm. he would probably enjoy it. Mm. And that Sick. disgusted me.
0: Yeah, And yeah.
1: then I realized, Okay, well, if I'm going through this, other people absolutely must be going through this. And that's how I have healed. That's how I try to deal with anything I've realized. Is that I go, okay, this is really bad for me. Oh, I can't be alone in this. How do I help other people? How can I make this better for the future? And so I had all these people also reach out to me shortly after I, I had that little epiphany. And they said that you know, I'm going through something and you have a platform, you have a voice can you speak up for me? Oh, heck yes, I can. Mm -hmm. And so I took that strength with me and decided that I was going to go to a hearing and give a testimony and he may be there. He may not be, he was there. So I had Mm -hmm. to face him again Mm -hmm. and talk. I mean, that's not even a trigger. That's actual, again, threat There's a difference between something being a trigger right. and you're remembering something and while it yes, you are still experiencing it. People mm-hmm. forget that with a with a flashback, but that's exactly right because so
0: many of, you know, our survivor friends, their predator, their abuser, it, you know, they're still alive, they're still showing up to family reunions once a year. Like that's no longer exactly. a trigger. You're right. It's still an actual threat.
1: Right, my mother explained something to me, and I actually said this in my my testimony. She because I was so terrified that he was in prison and he would eventually maybe escape and come get me. This was when mm. I was younger, and I just thought maybe you could like a movie, get out, mm. right? Yeah. Years later, that's essentially what happened. He just kind of got out. But that mm. it's sort of like a anxiety. Okay, let's take a tiger and let's put that tiger, and it's like a mean tiger, not like a cute tiger, like a mean tiger. <laughs> Mm-hmm. in the zoo anxiety is that tiger may escape from the zoo and come get you like you're like concerned that maybe somehow that tiger's going to come get you mm-hmm. yeah fear is okay that tiger is in front of me right now and that's the difference and it went from being the tiger is in the zoo to the tiger is in front of me right now yeah in the realest sense of the word and i came up with this quote and i posted it and i still think it's funny because i include it in my presentations which is a picture of me next to a quote. And then there's like me usually talking about it. And right now it's me on screen talking about a picture of me. It's it's a whole funny looking thing. (laughs) But this quote essentially boils down to there's times in our lives where we fall down and that we've fallen down in the past and we got up
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and somehow somewhere that strength is still within us. Like if you could survive what you went through in the first place, you can definitely survive this. Even if it's of equal threat or equal terribleness, because lightning does definitely strike many times when it comes to being a trauma survivor. Sometimes it's not just you survive one thing and then you're done and you're like, okay, that's my allotted horrible thing to happen to me in my life. No, there's, Mm -hmm. once you're victimized, it seems like there's sometimes a magnet of chaos but yeah. always attracted towards you. But you still have that strength in you and you will always have that strength in you to get back up. And it doesn't mean it has to be easy to get up. My God, no, you can fall down and, and not get out of bed. You can, whatever that are the things that you do when you're, you're triggered or traumatized, yeah. that's okay. It is okay to fall backwards. It is okay, because again, this is a journey, and in a journey, it's ups yeah. and downs and circles and hills and all around. Right. It's okay. Be gentle with yourselves. We hold ourselves to such high standards because we hear other people's stories. We read books. We see movies. I remember when I saw the movie Taken, I was really upset because Grodd had gone through something obviously really terrible. And then at the end, she was like, oh, okay, I'm good. I don't remember any of it, and now I'm <laughs> going to be a singer. <laughs> and I remember thinking, what a load of bull. Yeah. yeah. Like what? And what kind of message does this send to people? That, like, <laughs> like this. Is, and then you I just did eh. it.
0: Yeah. It's just this pretty little package. It's not like that. Right. Right.
1: Right. Like you just come out and you're, you're good. You're good. Like go, go yeah. sing now. You can, you can have your career go. Now you have an interesting story. Right yeah. now you're good. You're no. more interesting now. This is better right. for you. And that was really what that sort of, so we are comparing ourselves again Mm -hmm. to all of that and we compare ourselves so much and in today's world we compare ourselves in every single way I mean we go on social media and we're not anything like anybody else and (laughs) how do you edit those pictures how do they get on everybody's so much right everybody is so much better at everything than you it feels like
0: yeah And and for survivors to compare themselves it's just a bad place yes. to be. Yeah, exactly.
1: Absolutely. Because our stories are ourselves. so
0: different and anything can come along our path and, you know, cause anxiety, cause, like what you said, the tiger. I mean, Carol Baskin shows up with her tiger. Like, you never know when she's <laughs> on her way. Like, you know, you got to be, be prepared. You've got to have your therapy. You've got to have your meds. You've got to have your self-care. You've got to have everything in place so that when Carol Baskin's of the world show up on your doorstep, <laughs> like you... <laughs> Know that I've overcome this first thing with Joe Exotic, and now I'm going to overcome this one too. Like, we're good.
1: <laughs> you're no, you're, you're 100% right that you're good. good. I'm glad you you're followed good. that analogy. <laughs> I did actually. Okay. Otherwise, i would just like, What the heck are you talking yeah. about? No, you're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. Even when you're not good, even when you don't feel good. Okay, let's go that way. Even That's when good. you don't feel good, you're good. Like, yeah. all of it is okay to feel that way. I don't therapy. That's one of the things that drove me bananas, though, is that everything was normal. Mm. Everything was, oh, that's perfectly normal. No, it is not normal. It is not normal for me to do this, this, and this and feel this way. My friends don't feel this way. I'm comparing again what my friends are experiencing and what their lives look like and the people around me. My waking up in the middle of the night thinking that there's somebody in my room trying to kill me is not normal when they sleep through the night peacefully do not tell me it's normal yeah but what is normal is the experience of the aftermath there's a piece there that's missing in the translation sometimes and just know that whatever you're going through it's okay and that right now we have gone through a global trauma I know that in the beginning I was like okay is this Is this the end of the world? Like, are we, or am I going to lose people that I love? And then it might as well be the end of the world to me. So again, that loss of control and power and, and just trust in the future and safety, that there is something looming around us that is a constant threat
0: that's right, that's right. It's okay to be And struggling. in that regard, you know, the constant threat that's out there that we could be safe in our houses, but yet, There's always that constant threat of what is going to come into our houses through technology. And that is hard, especially as a parent wanting to empower your kids, you know, with the knowledge and providing them tools so they can protect themselves. You know, what is your advice there? I mean, gosh, I'll be honest with you. Like, Alicia, I have so many friends who allow their young kids to stay up all hours of the night you know, playing online games, no supervision right now, you know, because they're trying to juggle all these things in life and their job. And so they kind of just let their kids do whatever. And that scares the living daylights out of me. But then I also have friends who monitor like every single internet footprint from their kids. And that bothers me too. You know, I I want to be, I want to be in the in-between, but also I want to be fully educated in order to be able to, you know, empower my children. I wanna I wanna respect my kids. I wanna create conversations and build trust. I don't want to look at every single word that's sent to them, every single web page debuted. That would honestly make me crazy. But I also think that that's not even healthy either. Like that's another end of the extreme. You know, getting engaged, setting boundaries. I think a lot of it from what you know, my experience is is as a parent, I want to be led by freedom and not fear. And that's always been a big thing for me. But considering as a parent, Alicia, like how would you, what are some of your basic tips maybe even just for listeners who haven't even started? What are some of the first things? And then maybe after that, we can kind of unpack some of the deeper things.
1: When this happened to me, there was no internet safety education Hmm. at all. And There were no stories like mine, and that is a big reason why this happened. And so at the age of 14, I started going and sharing my story just about a year after my rescue because I felt that I'd been given this gift. And by gift, I don't mean what happened to me was a gift, I mean the gift yeah. of life yeah. that I survived. And yeah, that survival. if I had the knowledge and power to do something, then I needed to do that because I wanted to protect my peers. Mm. And that's all that mattered to me. Yeah. So I started sharing my story and I've watched parents go from being clueless mm-hmm. to complacent. Mm. So in the beginning, parents, I remember a very specific conversation. This was back when MySpace was popular, mind you. Mm-hmm. And this mom was like, well, I know my daughter doesn't have a MySpace," And I was like, okay, well, okay, <laughs> I have, how do you know that? Right? And yeah. said, well, I have the email address for the house. <laughs> no, you definitely don't know. That's not how that works. Not how it works at all. You don't get one email address for your house. Right. You're completely, you have no idea what's going on. Yeah. And that's maybe because she asked her daughter. <laughs> it was like, oh, yeah, you're all good. Here's the email address. It's I love mom, Right? <laughs> at <laughs> yahoo.com. We're good. <laughs> See, mom? Good. Good. See, look at this. Mm-hmm. Nothing there. And now with the complacency. Parents think, okay, well, it's kind of like the drug conversation. I know, they know, they know, they know, they know. They're told, they're told, they're told what other people are telling them. Also, I have this app and this app will protect them. So let's boil down to what you need to be doing. You need to educate yourself. Yes, it's daunting. Yes, there are things that you do not want to know, but that you need to know. Mm -hmm. about different emojis and different applications and what kids are doing on them and sit down and educate yourself. Take the time to do that, which you may have a little bit more time right now. Yes, you're working really hard. and I get that. But there may be a little bit more time in some ways that you could dedicate to this very important issue. Mm -hmm. Now, also that you do need to monitor your children. Now, it's not about getting them in trouble, but I do think that it is important to have those apps, to have a monitor on all of their devices, and it's not to get them in trouble. If you found out that Sally tried a cigarette and you're really not happy about it, clearly, you don't go on and say, hey, I saw this on your phone and how dare you do this? It is about keeping them safe. So that if something does go wrong, if they're being cyberbullied, if they're being harassed, if they're being threatened, mm-hmm. if they've sent photos to somebody that they're in a relationship with somebody who online who you think may be a danger, that you get ahead of it. It's not about getting them in trouble or calling them out on things. It's not about having a secret way of like finding out all the things about your kid and you're reading a diary. Kids Mm -hmm. do deserve an amount of privacy, sort of, kind of, but you need to be ahead of it. You need to know. We teach our kids to look both ways before they cross the street. We teach them to put on their seatbelt. We teach them not to touch that pot because it's hot, to not put that fork into the toaster oven or into the toaster. I actually don't know if you put it. Probably not. So into the toaster, Mm -hmm. that, that we teach them these things to keep themselves safe from what? From danger, from, from death, right? Like, you could mm. die if you don't look both ways before you cross the street. You might not say it quite like that, but you a message you're sending to them, yeah. which is good, <laughs> honestly, because kids need a healthy dose of fear. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not about necessarily fear, it's about empowerment. There's a saying, what you don't know can't hurt you, and that's complete. Crap, right? That's not true at all. It's it hurts you and then you know about it. If you don't know about it, you can't protect yourself. Case in point, there was I was doing an interview, interestingly, at the same exact time I was having this conversation about this very same topic, Mm -hmm. in this very same part of this conversation. I'm looking out and I live on a pier and I'm on the Hudson River and it's not a place to swim. (laughs) There's no no lifesaver. There's no ladder. There's nothing. Like you're, you're in the water and it's bad. And I've looked at that and I've been concerned about it. There's a family out there and there's this adorable little girl and she's running around and she starts climbing over the, the little fence and potentially maybe thinks that this is a swimming pool and you can go swimming. Mm. And she has one leg over and she's about to go into that water. And I scream, this poor person on the phone in this interview is totally confused at this point. Ugh. I'm yelling at somebody's kids yeah. and they go and they save this little girl.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe if I didn't do that, she would have gotten under the water. She was probably three, four years old, little itty bitty thing. Mm-hmm. She didn't know that was dangerous. Mm-hmm. Right. So she was going to jump right in. We have to teach our children what to be afraid of so they know how to protect themselves.
0: Yeah, and not throw them out to the wolves.
1: (laughs) Right. They don't know there's wolves out there. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. If we go back to the tiger example, tigers, I need to clarify that that was not a cute tiger. It was a mean tiger, right? Mm -hmm. Because tigers are cute, right? Adorable, beautiful creatures. If there's Mm -hmm. a tiger, you walk into your bedroom one day and there's a tiger in the corner. And you didn't know that tiger was dangerous. You might be like, "Oh, hi, Kiki's, right?" and like try to play with the tiger. Absolutely. You know that tiger is dangerous, so you're gonna be like, well, "Who was playing Jumanji?" and then you would like right? Yeah. <laughs> like, but we don't teach our kids that concept sometimes because we're afraid that if we tell them, then yeah. it could happen to them. Yeah. Like, oh, we've opened that door, so now they're at risk because they know about it, and that's mm-hmm. not the case at all. So you have to talk to your children about these dangers and do it in a way that isn't, well, here's this, this, and this, and this is why not. And in the same way that parents sort of, they tell kids no to things that parents are doing all the time, like don't Mm -hmm. smoke, don't drink, but they're sitting there with a a beer and they have a cigarette in their hand, Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. It's, It's not this kind of conversation. This is... This is truly dangerous, and not just in the way of predators, but also in the way of cyber bullies, and then also in the way of if you post something online and it's there forever, it can impact if you get into a school, your future career, if you volunteer, Mm. whatever. So there's so much that you have to sit down and talk to your children about. How do you start that conversation? You just sit down and ask them, what do you think is dangerous? but also make it a fun conversation. What are you using? What are the apps? Make a TikTok video with them. Learn their world, be a part of it. Don't make it bad. Mm -hmm. And then most importantly, the open line of communication. Letting your child know that they come to you with absolutely anything. Mm -hmm. Because if your child is the victim of something or is the targeted victim of something, they will be the first to know if anybody would know, other than the predator, and then would be the ones to go to ask you for help. Mm. If they think that asking for help will lead to them losing their device or that they're going to get in trouble in some way, mm-hmm. they're not going to ask. And nice. most certainly, right now, because it is the only connection to the outside world that kids yeah. have. So, yeah. If they're being threatened, if whatever is going on, it might seem to them worth the risk of ignoring it or handling it themselves instead of going to their parents. Mm-hmm. Now, your kids need to know that they can come to you with, and I mean anything. Your 10-year-old daughter can come to you and say, mom, dad, I sent this photo I don't know what to do. Somebody is threatening the end. You don't fr- freak out, maybe internally. But <laughs> mm-hmm. that you hold it together. You sit down. You're proud of them for coming mm-hmm. forward, for speaking mm-hmm. up. It's a really great thing to do. I'm proud mm-hmm. of you. You're you're really mature, whatever it might be that you mm-hmm. would say. And that it's about keeping them safe. None of this is about getting them in trouble. That's because kind. how does it really help to get your kid in trouble? Yeah. Right, we're only getting kids. In trouble I think that's because good. We want
0: them to be safe. Right, I think it's really good too to remember that you know it's no indicator even that something's wrong with your kid or that you as a parent have failed. None of that is is typically the truth. It's more of looking at it as an opportunity to deepen your conversations going forward. And if we can move our focus to that, it's so much healthier and can create, um, again, a deeper open line of communication. Um, Even if it's not just about the exploitation or falling into the trap of um, someone grooming you online, even if it's like your child stumbled upon porn, right? Maybe something like that, where there's so much shame and they're fearful of, you know, again, what you just said, like getting everything taken away because they come to you for help. Like, don't look at it as all these negatives where you failed. Something's wrong with your kid. No, no, no. Like, this is an opportunity to establish a deeper trust, a better communication with your kid, and to focus on that before, you know, all the other negatives. That's really good, Alicia.
1: Absolutely. You. It's it's all about that. And then that conversation continues. Sometimes parents think, oh, I had that conversation once. Okay, mm-hmm. well, you had it when they were six. Now yeah. you need to have it a Revisit, lot. Revisit, yeah. It. Yes, because... Their freedom online changes. Their reactions online change. What they're doing, what they're focused on, right? They're no longer watching Peppa Pig on YouTube. They're (laughs) doing other things. Yeah, their their wants and their desires change. So just talking to them like they're people. That Mm -hmm. the internet is the great leveler, and that we are all living in the same world on the internet. We all see the same things. Mm -hmm. If. If you go on Twitter and I go on Twitter, and we go to Trending Worldwide or Global or whatever it says, we will see the same things most likely. Your child, no matter what age, will see those same things. Mm. We live all in the same world now. It used to be ages ago that it was like, do I talk to my children about this? I don't know. And now it's, they already know. Mm-hmm. Boy, do they know. You need to talk to them because they know they're already in this world. So talk to them like they are in, they may take it to a different place, Mm -hmm. but they're seeing everything that you're seeing. And when they're uncomfortable, they need to know that they can go to you for help. Now, Mm -hmm. as a parent, you may go, okay, I don't know what to do. (laughs) My child came to me with this problem and I really want to take their device away and throw it out of the window because I know that this person will no longer have contact with my child then. Mm-hmm. Don't always don't don't ever really think that that's the solution, because mm-hmm. it's it's not. Again, kids won't come forward, but also if a predator really has their sights set on a child, they will send them a phone, and then what do you do? Wow, mm-hmm. right? You have no control over any of any of that if you're not careful. But call law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid of being ashamed that your child will be shamed that anything like that will happen people are so concerned that if they say well my daughter sent this or did this or maybe that the parent themselves or somebody in the home has their own struggles that maybe this will count against the your Uh, child is uh right your child is the most important and know that these people are specifically Trained, this is what they do. I work with a lot of them, and they would much prefer to also get ahead of something mm-hmm. instead of having to search for a missing child to recover images from the internet. Right. Or, and
0: so likely that your child is not the only one that this person has targeted, too. You could be saving countless kids, not just absolutely. your own.
1: Well, that person will go on to target another child. Mm-hmm. And right now, we must remember children are home from school but the predators are also home mm-hmm. that they're in they're on the internet with your child and when we you talked about this a little bit in the beginning and it's so true we're so focused on hygiene to keep ourselves safe and to keep our family safe but we're forgetting about cyber hygiene and mm-hmm. that we're so concerned about this virus that's outdoors seeping into our home in some <laughs> way yeah yeah well, you said like, oh, no, what about could get in as far as predators? No, they're in our homes all the time in yeah. that device. They're just a click away.
0: Yeah, right, right.
1: They're already here. Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to address this. Most children are going to be the victim of something online, be it sure. that they are cyber bullied, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they send a photo, that whatever, right, that grooming and abduction is on the extreme end of the spectrum, though it certainly does happen, but that there are things that they're going to either come across online or that are going to happen to them online that they really need your support in. Mm-hmm. You are just mm-hmm. supporting them and keeping them safe. You are not taking away their privacy. You are not punishing them. You are not ruining their life. You will if you take away their device, potentially, to them because that is their entire life right now. Mm -hmm. But take this slowly and again, be gentle with yourself. Now, as a survivor, I know I've sometimes struggled with this, that I think things pretty quickly have gone bad, and maybe they're not, that maybe we're a little hypervigilant, and that we either say, okay, well, let's jump on this too quickly, or maybe I'm being hypervigilant and I should take a step back. And then the problem sort of slips away. And by that, I mean that it doesn't go away, but Mm -hmm. that it slips from our grasps of being able to solve it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. be gentle with yourself. Realize that that's something that may be brought up. I know for me, not so much internet related, but when I would go out and certainly early on, I would see, that child who's screaming in the store and think oh my gosh they're being kidnapped oh right and the kids even yelling you're not my parent you're not my parent yeah. is this child being a brat is this child yeah. what's going on here and how do you how do you do that and we tend to look through because it is our lens as a survivor as much as we say you know it doesn't define us and it doesn't have to but it still is part of our our lens it's still yeah. a little bit of a frame still a little bit of a filter that that's okay and that you keeping your child safe from what you know that you've survived is really hard and really scary because you know how bad it is and that in and of itself is a trigger so please don't allow keeping your child safe if you can by allow i don't mean you have full power control over this but that that becomes something that you steer away from because you can't focus your energy on that because that's so much of a trigger or so hard. This is just something that we have to talk about. This is something yeah. we have to do. Mm-hmm. We teach and it can be empowering up, right? as a,
0: yeah. And I think it's interesting how you're talking about, you know, kids and adults are kind of like on the same level when it comes to technology. And in fact, a lot of times our kids know more about it than we do.
1: Absolutely.
0: But, but there, and it's just like, we have to educate. We can't just like be like, oh, well, like that's fine. No, like we can't let our children lead us in that level. Like we have to be a step ahead of them. And I think a lot about how, you know, what am I as a parent bringing to the table? Like how I approach technology or even sexuality in general, like how much am I on my device? What am I modeling? You know, how present am I with my kids or how much am I glued to my screen myself? You talk about the hypocrisy there, like with the drinking or whatever, but like it is the truth though. I think when it comes to like being on your screen and what am I bringing to the table and how can I use that as a conversation starter with my kids and yeah, just the protection piece and all of that. I think it comes down to like, how is your heart when you're kind of addressing this stuff with your kids? Is it out of like what you said, the power and the control and fear, or is it out of like love and concern and protection and and wanting freedom? You know, I think when you know your boundaries in anything in life, you can walk freely within them. But if you don't know your boundaries, it's kind of scary out there, right? So I think being able to talk to my children at least about you know what are the boundaries here what is what are the safe precautions and why why do i care about this you know a lot of times i've had to share parts of my story with my younger kids just you know just enough to give them a taste of understanding why i care so much and i think for a lot of the survivors listening who are parents like it's okay to let them in a little bit to know why you care why you want to protect them the fact that it has maybe touched your own life and that you don't want them to go through something like that. Um, you know, just really checking our heart even before we go into some of those conversations I think has been just helpful for me at least.
1: You're 100% right and that it is okay to open up and that kids really do understand at all age levels that yes, it might make them, kids interact or react I should say, differently all people react differently to Mm -hmm. everything Mm -hmm. but that you know your child and that you could say something as simple as something really bad happened to me and I was hurt and I don't want that to happen to you Mm -hmm. and I'm sure there'll be a whole host of questions and don't feel like you need to answer everything but that it's in your heart you you already know the answer and whatever you do is the right choice because you know the answer. And if it was, it, it's not a permanent sort of thing. You can back up. It's not yeah. like you've opened a floodgate and now everything's different. Your, your relationship with your child isn't different because they have this little bit of knowledge about you.
0: Yeah. I think it can be a, a factor that can draw you together, in fact. Yeah, that's really good. I wonder, Alicia, like as you've bravely shared your story. Thank you so much for for being willing to do that. I know that means a lot to so many of our listeners to just know they're not alone and just to hear um, a real story from a real person. And um, I wonder though, in your story and what you've gone through, you know, as I look back on my own even and thinking, was there something that someone could have said to me or um, done to help protect me that would have kept me from this specific situation. And, you know, you even mentioned earlier that a lot of times survivors of one type of sexual trauma will somehow end up being a victim of other types of trauma and oftentimes other sexual trauma. So for me, um, you know, that was also the case. And I wonder, was there something that someone could have done or something someone could have said prior to the later trauma that I experienced to protect me from that. And I don't know if it would have, because in some of the later, you know, just like relationships or like dating violence or things like that, I was just a vulnerable person to the things that were being said um, or done. And then I've ended up falling in. So do you even think if your parents had fully educated you, it would have mattered? Or is sometimes, is it more on, you know, for me, there was like almost like a hole in my heart that a predator knew exactly what to say, how to say it, you know, how to get me in the right situation. Um, so even had I been educated fully on how to protect myself, I I think myself in my heart was vulnerable to a predator. And had it been online, it would have been even easier for someone to fill me up with you know, all those things that they know how to say and do. Does this make sense to you?
1: It absolutely does. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's that's the question I, I know that so many survivors ask themselves and so many parents and loved ones of survivors ask themselves, what could I have done differently? Yeah. And the truth is there's a lot that you could have done differently. But the other truth is that it could have ended up in the same exact place.
0: That's what I'm kind of saying. Like, that I don't it, know. If you feel that way, but like that, I do wonder that myself a lot of times.
1: Well, I've thought about that a lot. And if my back then, no, because my parents couldn't have known, I knew so much more about the internet and I believed that the world was this amazing, beautiful, wonderful place. And I would think that, no, not me, that can't happen to me. Now, had I heard a story like mine, yes, that's Mm -hmm. what would have. Would have helped, and I know that that helps a lot of kids when I do my presentations. That here's somebody that that's the actual story, and it's a real, genuine story Mm -hmm. with a lot of pain and a lot of struggle. And that's something I definitely do not want to go through. Had I heard something like that, but but there wasn't. And you can do everything you can do to protect yourself, Mm -hmm. to protect your children. And evil can still seep in. Yeah. And it's not that you invited it in. It's not that you welcomed it in. It's not that you allowed it in. And it's not that you wanted it. I know sometimes it's like, well, right, I must have invited it and said, oh, no. please come in. Yeah. And no, <laughs> yeah. it's just that it's, it's like a liquid. It can seep, or a gas even, it seeps in. It finds the nooks and the crannies and the spaces that it fits which is everywhere and it will exploit and take over those spaces completely until it succumbs its victim which sounds really creepily poetic but yeah. it's it's true in that mm-hmm. we can only do so much but sometimes it gets in and then what we do after yes. is what matters how yeah. we respond to whatever it is that is going on and get this person the help that they need and the family, the help that they need and the community, the help that the community needs. And that comes down to response of law enforcement, of other family members, of friends, of media, of all of that. And that's what we can do differently. We can do all of it, take all the steps, realize that it is not perfect yeah nothing is perfect none of those apps are perfect have you ever had an app that doesn't lock up or come on seriously like <laughs> it's not perfect right. technology that's not perfect talking to you talking to your child is not a sure proof that this will not happen to them because they are their own person and yeah. it is up to them and that's something that i talk to kids a lot about and really tell them that they have the power to protect themselves because People in their lives, their parents, their teachers, their guardians, they can do all that they can do to protect them, but it is that your decision, your decision, not that you're to blame, not that it is your fault, and not that anything that you do, you are to blame for what happened to you. I'm not saying that at all, but it is your decision to respond to that person, to close that conversation, to report that person, which just please do because they'll go on to the next victim, but to report that person to go outside of the door to send that picture it's Mm -hmm. your decision so we have to teach our children to make the right decisions and in order for them to know which path to take they need to know and be able to weigh the risk and reward of each of those paths
0: that's really good that's really good thank you alicia so let's say a parent um has a child who comes to them with an actual situation, or as a parent, you find a situation of grooming happening and you say, Make that report. Where would you? I mean, there's lots of places to report. Where would you usually recommend a parent go? Cyber
1: tip line uh, okay. definitely is Cyber tip line. Cyber tip line is really the clearinghouse, it's where it all goes. And thank goodness that they exist because there are. Sp- so many children who are saved through that but also report on the different various applications so if Mm -hmm. your child is on Facebook or Instagram report there just report all over the place there's no harm in that and please don't think because I definitely talk to parents about this that okay oh no what if this really is a 16 year old boy are they going to go knock on his house and get him in trouble (laughs) and parents are afraid it's, it's not like that. It's not like police are going to come in and just like arrest this whole family and that everybody's going to go to jail and you ruin people's lives. No, yeah. there's an investigation. It takes time. It's, mm-hmm. it's a precaution. It's a decision that you really do need to make though because while an offender is focusing on your child, it's not that your child is the perfect victim for them. They're mm-hmm. also looking for other victims and there's other vulnerable children and they will just go on next to that next vulnerable child when i speak to kids and i don't do this as much anymore but as a kid and then being a kid i had a little bit more leeway with things and one thing that i would have them do and sometimes i still do it but i have them raise their hand and promise that they are going to report if something happens because they're the one that sees it and if Mm -hmm. they let that person go again they're just going to go on to that next victim only now maybe they've learned something to not say, to not bring up a red flag, that they're learning each Mm -hmm. time too. And that eventually they will find a victim or multiple victims if that is not reported. So please report, please do not be afraid for any reason of reporting either that there will be a light shone on you personally and that your privacy will be taken over or that this other person will you in some way harm them if they are not a bad sort of predator, just please report. It's one of the most important things that you can do. And mm-hmm. that it, we do have so much power. The internet is what we make it. It is like a living being. And <laughs> if people, I mean, people clearly want it to be a whole lot of porn. So it's a lot of mm-hmm. porn right? Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. If we wanted it to be something else as a huge society, then it would turn into something else. It is what we put into it. And if we report people, then we're getting them off of there. And yes, they may go make another account, blah, blah, blah. Again, not foolproof, not 100% sure, but you're doing what you can. And that's all we can do in this world. We can do what we can. Come on, we're washing our hands and we're wearing our gloves and we're doing all this. But do we know that those masks are really protecting us? Do we know that we don't know anything? We don't know, but we're doing it because we feel that it is worth it to do. This is worth it to do.
0: Yes. Wow. Well, this is really inspiring for me. Alicia, I'm so grateful for your story and your courage and that you care not only about you know, the rescue and the education, but you also care for the survivors after the fact. And you know, that's my heart. I know that's Mary's heart. And it's always awesome to just cross paths with other advocates out there who understand, you know, both sides, the importance of both ends of that. And so really excited to just join our voices together today. Um, Alicia, do you feel like you have hope as we kind of just wrap this podcast up? Do you feel like you have hope for how things are, are going forward? You know, technology is only getting bigger, right? And it's only overcoming our lives more and more. Um, people are now, you know, working from home, probably for forever, um, just being connected to the internet and children have more and more access. So like, to me, it's scary to feel like, you know, porn is just getting worse. And The um, online grooming is is touching so many lives of our friends so quickly. But at the same time, there are people out there like you that are doing the hard, the hard work of, of protection and educating. So like, do you feel like we are going to ever get in front of this or do you feel like it's going to be something we're always going to battle, but we're, we're going to stay in the battle because it's worth it. Like, where is your heart? Where's your hope? Like kind of, how do you get up every day and keep doing this?
1: I have so much hope here's why Mm -hmm. you just told me a ton of things that, you know, you know, that they're dangerous. You know, that it's bad. And when this happened to me, nobody was talking about that. And the reason that people are talking about it now is because honestly, because I went out and I talked about it and I brought, This the first time that people ever heard of online grooming or any of this. It was really so Mm -hmm. new. And now, you know, so you're already sort of in front of it Mm -hmm. because, evil, sexual abuse, grooming, the the darkness of the world thrives in secrecy. It thrives in not knowing it's there. Well, then we just said, hi, we're there. We're going to get you. (laughs) That's what we just said. That's what you just said. It's the fact that we know it's there, but we have to let other people know it's there, which is what we're doing with this podcast, with the work that we do, that we're saying, hey, now you know about it. Now you can protect yourself. Here mm-hmm. are all the tools you need. Go forth. Now, yes, the internet is going to grow. Yes, we may be able to shut down this thing and then this thing and then that thing. But predators are going to find a way. Because they're not just... They're the same predators who were outside. It's like people forget. that's like, oh, there's internet predators. And then there's... Mm-hmm family predators and then there's park predators and then there's mall predators no it's all the same it's predators and they're going to use whatever technology or tool they have to victimize people they're going to find a way to hurt people and that sounds like a really hopeless desperate situation but we know that they're doing that we can find out but the point is that we have to Keep our children safe by it through education. We have to educate parents. We have mm-hmm. to educate companies on what to do if this sort of material pops up. We have mm-hmm. to talk to the people who are reporting, to people who are who are reviewing the reports. We have to fund uh, the Internet Crimes Against Children task forces that who investigate these sort of crimes. Which is one of the reasons I have the most hope is that Alicia's Law helps to fund them it's passed in 12 states which is not enough but it's Mm -hmm. still definitely some and it helps to fund them it creates boots on the ground resources training so that they can go and actually rescue these children and by rescue these children i don't necessarily mean children who are kidnapped some yes but child sexual abuse material and child sexual abuse is so often done by those who have access and the trust of the child. So it's so often family members or those who are close to them. And those are the ones who are creating the most material. Or unfortunately, Mm -hmm. children are creating so much material themselves and putting Mm -hmm. it out there. So we have to fund these forces that fight these sorts of crimes. And it works, Alicia's law works, which is what's really nice. It's one thing to be like, oh yeah, I have this idea. No, it works. In Wisconsin, in the two years since it's passed, they've arrested a thousand offenders, which is huge. Mm -hmm. And my favorite part of it is that they now have a dog. Uh, I got to meet him recently. He is a big, fluffy, yellow lab. And (laughs) what he is able to do is he is able to sniff out electronic devices. So a micro SD card, which can hold a ton of information, which is... No bigger than, I have tiny fingers, no bigger than my pinky nail, and no thicker than it as well. So it's incredibly tiny and easy to hide. So that when law enforcement goes into a home and they are investigating and they are looking for evidence, a case is only as strong as its evidence. You could hide that little card or so many other pieces of technology anywhere, and it might be missed. It might be missed. It will very likely be missed this dog is able to sniff that out in the same way that he would be able to sniff out drugs or drug paraphernalia. He is able to find that device and they named him Kozak, Mm -hmm. which is the abbreviated easier way to say my name. Uh, They named him Kozak after me and I got to meet him and go on a search warrant. And I actually in real life, like a real search warrant saw him locate and his sister, who's named Karma, which is the cutest thing, Kozak and Karma they were able to find a laptop that had been missed. Wow. And that's a big piece of device that you think somebody would find, but no, things are missed. So there's so much that goes into this, but we have to keep moving forward because the predators are running at speed, 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 speed. And we have to try to keep up. They will always be ahead. It's just how it is. They will always be ahead, always find ways. Like I said, the mm-hmm. gas seeping into the room, they're going to find a way, but we need to be on the other side of the door and say, Hey, where we see you? We got gotcha. you. Yeah. Sorry. Turn so back even, around. Get out of here.
0: <laughs> so even though they are, are sprinting and, and we're still, you know, kind of behind in the fact of our speeds, maybe you still feel like you have hope because people aren't talking, people are funding programs advocates are out there survivors are speaking so as long as we continue to speak out you feel like we have loads of hope
1: we're still moving forward they might be faster but we didn't stop when we stop that'll be a problem
0: great i love that that perspective that's really good gosh thank you alicia We're really grateful for your voice and just cheering for you as you continue to do all these wonderful things um, in our world and for the sake of other children who are behind you. It's super helpful, Alicia, for so many of us, whether we're survivors, whether we're parents, whether we're those who just care about this issue and want to do something to help but don't really know how. I think you've given us a lot of tools and a lot of understanding. And so we're just so grateful for that. And Alicia, how can people get in touch with you? How can they help what you're doing um, grow? How can they Fund your work. Um, just let us know all the things.
1: Sure. Well, you can get a lot more information if you go to Alicia Kozak. So A L I C I A K O Z A K dot I have a lot of safety tips on there. Information there. are some animated videos that you can show your kids that were made by law enforcement that I got to be part of, which are are really good and a, a great starting point to talk. And then you can also reach me on my social media. It's at ITS. So it's Alicia Kozak. And please do feel free to reach out. I do these sort of interviews and this sort of work so that people do have me as a resource so that people can Mm -hmm. connect with me. If there's anything that I can ever do at all, please do reach out. I am here for anybody who needs it. And it's always nice to hear from people who listen or, or watch these sort of shows to to get some feedback and to, to keep that dialogue and conversation going. And yeah. thank you all. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.